Come one, come all to the After Dark Podcast. The podcast in which Sheriff Anthony does his best to wrangle Conrad through Westworld, one doggone episode at a time. So kick back and grab yourself some Apple Jack, or some Adam's Ale if that's your preferred poison, and get ready for these two wannabe cowboys to ramble the night away. Music is provided by the fantastic Nancy White and Jared Iscariot. Enjoy the show! Hello, and welcome to the After Dark Podcast. Didn't say howdy this week, and that's Conrad. Hello. I'm not going to do it either. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I'm Anthony because I wanted to keep the same rhythm of the intro, but I am, a- sure. I am Anthony, just so you guys know, uh, I am Anthony. If this is your first time uh, logging on to the After Dark Podcast, sure. it's a podcast in which me, Anthony James, takes Conrad through a TV show one episode at a time. And I seem to think that this might be the time when the theories start bubbling up. I know that... Oh. I, I, I know there's someone in the comments last week. I can't remember exactly who it was off the top of my head. Might have been Stephen Crummy. I believe Stephen Crummy was certainly saying that, he, that, that they think the, the theories are going to be absolutely nuts. Assuming that's what you were going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Someone, I can't, maybe it was Marvin as well. I'm not sure who exactly it was, but someone said only episode one and we've already got them on a different planet. Listen, <laughs> I've got it. I'm, I've got the theory matrix in front of me. Down for episode one. Hey, are they in space? Maybe so. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know, they could be. They, could, they are rotating around. So come on, yep. come on. Definitely some sort of spherical stuff going on. Mm. Uh, all right. So we're here to talk about uh, Westworld episode two. Conrad, mm. how have you been? Have you let the first episode soak in? How are you feeling about it now? Um, I think it's just going from strength to strength. Really, um, I don't. I don't want to um, get too much into it before we before we really get into it. But. Uh, it was just another great episode. That first episode was great. This one was 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 just as good. So many little hooks and and little uh, morsels to sink your teeth into. I just yeah, I can't wait to can't wait to get into it. Neither can I. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, let's break it down. Wake up, Dolores. Is how she's the up episode and about. Start. Yeah, she's up and about. So the episode starts again. They do another uh, starting the episode how it ends. Yep. That, I can't remember if this is every episode, but maybe it is. So they start they start off, wake up Dolores, uh, chatting away to her, asking does she remember. She walks out into out into the garden of her house, sort of just yep. out of the ranch house. Nice little way to start. There wasn't actually much else here. It was a sort of setup, wasn't it? Yeah, just kind of Bernard's talking over a conversation with Dolores, uh, possibly sowing the seeds for conversations that these two characters will have later in the episode. And don't worry, uh, listeners, I will be saying Bernard, so you'll only be annoyed at Conrad saying Bernard. Listen, say- all right, it, <laughs> like, has he pronounced it Bernard and I've just chosen to call him Bernard? Yeah, boy, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm normally quite conscious of stuff like that, you know, like I respect people's pronunciations of their names, but for some reason, <laughs> this this character's just rubbed me the wrong way, clearly. I'm sticking well, with Bernard. Yeah, you had, too, you had too much of the children's book, not now, Bernard, when you were yeah. a kid. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, like every other character, I will endeavour to pronounce them correctly. But if you were here for episode two of the After Dark podcast on Westworld, you heard me defiantly stating that I will continue to call him Bernard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, so uh, from that little very short setup scene, it goes and then introduces a couple of new characters. Oh, yeah. Um, one is played by one of the McPoyle brothers, who yep, I'm Boyle, sure... Boyle McPoyle <laughs> in <Yeah>. the flesh. <laughs> from uh, It's Always Something in Philadelphia. I think it's, his real name's Jimmy something, but uh, yeah. he's he's a, he's a good actor. I like him. And he's also... Uh, then also you've got Ben Barnes, 
playing Logan. And yeah. Ben, ben Barnes, you might remember as Prince Caspian from the Narnia series. Uh, that's who he bloody is. I was looking at him and I was like, why do I know this guy from? And he is, he, he's not playing much of his Prince, uh, like Prince Charming in this. I'll yeah. tell you that for free. Yeah. He's, um, more, he's more, he's more R-rated in this, we will say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay. First off, great to see Boyle McPoyle. Lovely to see him appear in this. Um, I think the, this explains why the McPoyles perhaps became less prominent in, in the in the kind of always sunny um, narrative cycle uh, in in the later seasons because he was off doing proper TV um, you know <laughs> not 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 always sunny but I I think this introduction is great for a number of reasons um, not least that obviously it's the clo- as he as he arrives at the park he's presented with the option uh, to dress himself which brings uh, the Randy Quaid lookalikes outfit from the previous episode into stark contrast I'm going to say like that man chose that jacket <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that you know he does that is like Chevy Chase getting himself dressed for a spoof western or like Steve Martin um, but yeah these two characters I'm interested to see what happens here because they seem to hate each other <laughs> They do, but there also there is like there's also already a little bit of um, back and forth between them with uh, Logan, who's Ben Barnes' character, saying, yeah. and it's Jimmy Jimmy Simpson, by the way, who plays William, is the name mm. of the character. Um, so Logan says to William, you know, do you not think that my sister uh, was, you know, banging some cowboys while she was here? As well as that, there's also mentioned later on. I, I'm getting, I got the impression straight away when I first watched this. That there's some sort of relationship going on here. Do you, have you sort of pinned down what type of relationship you think that they have? Um, I mean, I feel like they work together. Um, I don't think they're. I don't think they're related. So I feel. I feel like um, Logan is William. That's the character's name, right? Logan. Um, Logan is Lo- Ben Barnes' character. Yeah, yeah uh, Logan is William's boss i'm assuming based on the kind of power dynamic here like it seems like he's kind of dragged william along mm-hmm. for this um this kind of debauched holiday where he's just going to go and shoot everything that he that he can but the mention of the sister did that put anything in your mind it's a good point actually i suppose maybe they're like brothers-in-law maybe he's married to his sister now or something like that See, that's, uh, that's or, sort of that's sort of the area that my mind was going to as well mm, i yeah. didn't go i didn't go there to be honest but that is yeah that that it's totally totally believable that that could be the case yep yep and obviously logan seems to be much more au fait with yeah. how this part yeah. works so it, and this is something that this show is really really good at so far and i really hope long may it continue is that it sows exposition into brilliant sort of character driven moments so you get the the building of the relationship between these two characters really letting us know you know how they feel about each other um you know making it pretty obvious that they don't particularly like each other but at the same time you get little like kind of kind of morsels of information about how the park actually works so you mm. get I think they have actually said it in the last episode, but it's, if they have, it's kind of doubled down on and confirmed here. Yeah. This idea that like the further out you get, the more intense the experience becomes, and it's very much it reminds me of like open world video games where you're mm-hmm. like on an island and you can like swim out into the sea from the island, but eventually yeah. it'll like turn you back uh, towards you know the game area, and that mm-hmm. c- sounds like kind of what they're doing here, where at the edges of the park is where the the experience is so intense that you have no option but to turn back. But it does make me wonder what the edge of the park actually looks like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, I love all that. I love all the sort of building in of the game. It really feels yeah. like a video game or something yeah. like that. I do really like that. It's, it's interesting as well because Westworld obviously was originally the film back in like the 60s or 70s. And mm. I think 
it's interesting that the way that it's become popular and they've made this this TV show of it as well because it really sort of mimics as well like um, escape rooms and stuff. I think these yeah. and secret cinemas and stuff like the where you go along and everyone's in character. There's a lot of this in the world right now. Yeah, um, it's because everyone wants to play D and D. They just don't know it yeah. yet. So everyone's into a yeah. bit of role play. Yeah, yeah, you're, that's you've put it perfectly. Like only people who don't want to play D and D are people who don't know what it is. That's yeah. That's literally it. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, some little details here. So he goes in to get his uh, to get his uh, uniform, William, mm. and he he chooses a white hat. Yeah, th- this is a little arbitrary. I'm gonna say, like, I feel like the, the I haven't had any problems so far with the the writing or the presentation in this show. But I was like, which one are you gonna be, white hat or black hat? I was a bit like, okay, I understand the metaphor. You didn't need to make it quite quite as uh, quite as obvious as that. Well, I think I think it's like sort of. Because it's sort of playing with the genre of Western, yeah. there are going to be a lot of winks and nudges, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, did, did you notice, like, obviously when he was choosing his clothes, there was the, the woman who was asking, are you real? And she's, like, obviously one of the hosts, I think. Mm. Um, she didn't actually say she was, but the way she was talking and the way she was saying, I'm here at your pleasure, would 100% make you think she was. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I assumed that she is a host, but I, I, lo- I think that's one of the things that this show has done really well so far, is just this persistent question of, like, who is real and what does it even mean to be real? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I suspect that's going to be a theme that is a major one in this yeah. show, which, I, which I'm, I'm always a big fan of, as a, as a massive fan of, you know, like Blade Runner and stuff like that. Yeah. This idea of, you know, redefining what it means to be alive is something that always gets me interested and and it's and they definitely got me here as well yeah exactly and uh so he decides sort of not to partake with this host yeah um but whenever uh, he, and then he goes through onto the train and we'll talk about that in a second but whenever logan joins him do you notice that logan's zipping his yep. zipper up yep 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 yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, already at it already at it <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. That, so the weird thing about Logan's character, and I, I, I'm, this isn't a complaint because I'm sure it will be revealed as we see more of the character, but he, he seems like he knows a lot about this place, which to me, I can't... Does, does he say he's been here before or is it just that he's heard he from does, other people? Yeah. No, he does say he's been here before. Yeah, so it just it's odd to me to... I could, I'd, like, um, I, I'd like to think of myself as the kind of person who, if I went to Westworld, I wouldn't just immediately start killing and having sex with everything that I possibly could. Mm-hmm. But I can understand why some people who maybe go on holiday for different reasons would have that response the first time they went there. But to do it after you've done it once or twice before, I would have thought it would get incredibly boring to do that but i don't know maybe i'm under undervaluing the the thrill of that to people well like i him. think yeah i know exactly i obviously wouldn't do that I, I i'd be thinking like that guy who fell off the cart and was like let's go find treasure i'd be like right. yeah let's, let's absolutely bloody lootly let's <laughs> yeah, go i'm loving this guy let's go find the <laughs> treasure uh, right but the thing is a lot of, a lot of people like i think the people who like him who just want to do that right it's like Yes, if you compare it to his other trips to Westworld, it is really debaucherous and like it's it's like why would he just continue doing the same thing? But there yeah. might be like a year between the visits. So he's went back to his normal life, you know, sitting at his desk at work and he's just like thinking all year, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna go back, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this is his this is his chance to to, to cut loose, I guess. But it is it, it strikes me as a very uh, like it, 
I think the uh, the characterization of Logan is really good because I think he thinks that he is the most kind of wild, crazy guy. It's like, oh my god, look at him! He's having sex with two women and a women and a man at the same time. Like, what a <laughs> what an absolute debaucherous uh, encounter this is. But the reality is, is that he's quite small minded and boring. Um, yeah. And I think that is really well reflected in William's attitude towards him, where like it seems like he just has nothing but disdain for this character yeah there's not and rightfully so i mean if they are brother-in-laws there's not really much brotherly love going on no no then no they should have gone to st louis instead like or is that the city of brotherly love maybe let us know in the comments yeah (laughs) (laughs) st louis St. Louis. Uh, <laughs> oh, we can't get into that again. We can't cross the streams of the podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. So um, we go sort of out of the world into the back backstage area again, and yeah. um, you've got this, this sort of talking about building a new narrative, uh, which was like I love this little subplot going on in this episode. Uh, so Bernard and um, Teresa, who's the name of the character um, from German, uh, so from she's from Denmark, I think the actress, um, mm. who she eventually comes around and visits Bernard in his uh, in his uh, hotel room or his apartment. Um, they're talking, and they're talking about how Abernathy... Actually, no, it's not Teresa, sorry. It's not Teresa. It's... Um, it's the scientist lady. The scientist lady, who I can't remember the name of. Oh, Elsie. Elsie Hughes. So Elsie Hughes and Bernard, and they're talking about um, Abernathy uh, had, had something fucked up going on with his brain. Yeah. Uh, and she's asking to, to let him uh re- let her rebuild abernathy but also yeah. let's pull dolores out because she was really in close contact with uh, abernathy uh and I- bernard says no yeah so it's it's interesting the, the the main takeaway i had from this this short conversation is this idea that these these so-called dissonant episodes are pretty much just swept under the rug um which seems like a real good way to ensure that they keep happening um <laughs> yeah yeah and, well, and get for, forget forget your well, that's the thing, like, I don't know if it applies directly, but, you know, like, the idea is, like, you forget your past, or you, you just, like, if you yeah. don't teach Those the history... Those who forget their just, history yeah. are doomed to repeat it, I think, is yeah. the, uh, yeah, which, de- I mean, we don't know what the critical failure in the park 30 years ago was, but I reckon there's going to be another one at some point in this series, and I reckon it's going to look a lot like that one, so we'll see. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so we go to Dolores now, she's in town, she's she's rocking into town, like, just yep. like normal. Um, and uh, well, for she, the most she, part, for the, for the most part, because she has like a, she has like a flash where she can see all the dead bodies in the street. Yep, it's perfectly um, normal. Perfectly normal. <laughs> perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Maeve comes over. Oh, there's also a wolf in there. What do you think about that? It, oh, did I admit what? There's a dead wolf on the in the street. No, it's not. It's not dead. It's actually alive, walking around amongst the dead bodies. Oh, I didn't notice that. Actually, that's interesting. Um, hmm. I'm not sure if I have any theories about that yet, but the, that feels. It's so it's interesting that what she sees is uh, to me very very clearly not the same or not presented in the same way as what Maeve keeps on refer, uh, flashing back to later mm-hmm. in this episode. One of them is clearly a flashback, uh, like a memory that they hold in Maeve's case. Whereas this, I don't know what this is that that, that Dolores is seeing because it doesn't feel like a flashback or a memory to me, mm-hmm. and and you know the wolf. It almost implies a kind of level of symbolism to her her kind of her mind that that, that you know she's she's kind of like building these me- these visual metaphors in her head, but I don't know what they mean. I have to I have to have a think about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's also a moment where Maeve comes over and speaks to her, and then Dolores actually says to Maeve, same thing that her father said the last episode. 
these violent delights have violent ends. Yeah. And I, I was I, I love to see this because um Tandy Way Newton um doesn't she hasn't been in as much stuff as she should have been, or certainly like as much high profile stuff as she should have been. Mm. She's a phenomenal actor. And this episode makes me think, uh, oh, she seems like she might be quite a big character in this. Um and this is, you know, the beginning of it. Like Dolores kinda of passes along the uh the brain worm of like, hey, maybe yeah, you're yeah. maybe you're uh you're more than than what you think you are, and it, I I was starting to think actually about this phrase, like these violent these violent um, delights have violent ends, which I think is from a Shakespeare play. I'm not actually sure, but is, could that be that we've already had people, um, res- oh we've already had hosts responding to you know like code words, um, like was it mm-hmm. may you rest in a deep and yeah. pleasant slumber or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that is another one maybe one that they know from the past or something like yeah, that. Yeah, to, to like activate something on a very low level to get them to start questioning themselves just because it seems that everyone... Oh, I guess that's not true because the, the, the bandit guy from last week kind of started to to, to to freak out without ever hearing that line. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it's interesting to me that there are these like repeated lines that sound very like prosaic, prosaic and arch mm-hmm. when on an, in other parts of this show we're hearing people saying these kind of lines to the hosts to make them do things. Okay, so you're sort of implying that there there potentially might be a theory here somewhere. Then maybe maybe something. Yeah, like- I'm not I'm not a hundred percent on this one yet, but I feel like I'm definitely keeping an eye on that and being like, is just them saying that doing something, or is it just them mm. repeating? So someone someone's building something into some aspect of the code or something which might be planting seeds within them is that yeah. what you're saying yeah, yeah. i've got some okay. thoughts about who that might be by the end of this episode i'll tell i'll tell you that for free interesting very interesting um okay so um let's see uh the hat room uh oh yeah we've already talked about this really uh so yeah. i do want to talk about the train though that's like uh, oh yeah so that actually this is perfect time then so like he goes through the door onto the train um, and it's like really cool. So it's like a little futuristic white passage. How how does this train work? Like how does they both walk through the same door without the train ever seeming to move? I mean, maybe it's just on really really like well well like suppressed rollers. So it's like moving along to all the different rooms and collecting the passengers and then put on the rails and going. But it's so cool, like that. Kind I of... just assumed that the hat room was the same for everyone, and then they all came through the same door. Uh, I see. I didn't think that. I guess it could have been, but I was. I figured because 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 uh, Logan goes off with another host and gets dressed there. I assumed that the that they had a, a, a separate changing room with separate guns and separate hats in it as well. Yeah, well, yeah, that that could definitely be the case. Um, I don't. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think that we could maybe think about how this train moved around. Let's to figure out the, the physics of this train. All right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah. not moving on. It's like it's like pivoting around like this. Yeah, it's know, on like, like a side. little like rotating thing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then it finally get it goes. But it's uh, it's such a cool introduction to the world. Like you literally just walk through the door and you're and you're just in it immediately. Yeah. Is it, yeah, it's great. Yeah, like no warning whatsoever. It is really cool. I like it. Um, okay, so the train starts moving. Uh, they, oh, there's a little thing as well. Like there's a bit a moment I thought which was really cool. Whenever the train moves off. And uh, William and Logan are both there looking out the window. And all of a sudden, like, William thought this was going to be, like, from what you understand throughout the episode, he thought this was going to be, like, a little town where you go up to a ranch and then it's yeah. sort of a couple of people in character or whatever, a couple of hosts in character. Yeah, it's going to be like Disneyland, essentially. Yeah, yeah. whereas, whereas like, they, the train moves off and all of a sudden they're in the middle of, like, 
Arizona desert or whatever yeah. this is. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, it is it's just, great. Yeah. The, the scale. I, I almost feel like William is kind of a bit of an audience analog here um of just obviously you know he has his own he has his own narrative that's going on but this um the the kind of like awe that he responds with when he sees like the scale of the park is is definitely something that i was like when when, uh, not in so much in this episode but that first moment when it pulls back from the park to reveal every all like the the uh kind of 3d imaging of it with all the people gathered around it in the Mm -hmm. in the in the main headquarters i was like oh holy shit okay this is a this is bigger than i thought it was going to be it's not just sweet water it's i don't well i mean i don't even know it seems like it's hundreds of miles potentially well we didn't we, we also saw like three towns in this episode alone you know yes yeah that's true so it's, it's crazy. Um, okay, so uh, they also say a line, this place will tell you who you really are. Yep. Put it on a postcard. <laughs> yeah. Postcard of someone like slaughtering <laughs> yeah. uh, James Marston in, an, in, a, <laughs> in, a, in a brothel. We'll get to him. Poor old now Teddy. Now this is a vacation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so... Um, a hanging is taking place. Uh, it's not yes. really. It, it's 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 interesting. Like the man in black comes in, and I I like how he goes through. Like he's still, even though he's like going to try and. Oh yeah. He's trying to do this like this game to the higher level. He's been there so many times, but he's still playing the cowboy game. Yeah, I, I love it. I lo- like when he when he rolls up and um and uh you know says oh you're gonna give me Lawrence, and uh, I can't actually remember what the sheriff says to him. Um, but he said, uh, yeah, do you want me to dig that grave twice as deep? Oh yeah, then, do you want me to dig that grave twice as deep? And then uh, and then the man in black responds with, well, it's gonna be an awful tight fit for all of you. And that <laughs> yeah. is like that is one hundred percent him channeling Charles Bronson as harmonica. Yeah. And once upon a time in the West, with the uh, uh, you, we brought one too few horses, and he's like, no, you brought two too many, and it's like, oh man, this guy is a badass. And then you know, he, I, I respect it. You know that he's got a sense of theatricality. To, to, you, know, yeah. you know, if you're here, you might as well enjoy yourself while you're up to no good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I just love it. He's, he's he's he says about how he's been coming to the park for however many years, and he's still. He still absolutely loves the, the yeah. role play. Well, so and, cool. and like this is the kind of villainy that I can get on board with. Not like all the drunks that just randomly shoot people in the head in the, in like the bars, but like you know, yeah. put a little bit of effort into it, make it a little yeah, yeah. bit more Machiavellian. That's what we need. Yeah, be the bad guy. Yeah, um, yeah. So as you say, Lawrence is the guy who's been hung, and now uh, gives him he gives him the scalp. It says it's the maze. It's the deepest level of the game. Yeah. You're going to help me find the entrance. I still don't know what that... Did, did that map on the scalp lead him to Lawrence? Or is it a separate thing that he's going to get Lawrence to interpret? I, I, I don't I don't really understand. Yeah, he might already know Lawrence and sort of where... Maybe he knows where Lawrence has been in the game. Or maybe he's, he knows that that host will have a lot of... Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, uh, so Maeve, uh, is, there's a whole storyline going on with her now where she's sort of... There, there's, they're trying. They're trying all different things with Maeve to try and get her to be attractive to the ho- to the to the visitors, the newcomers. Yeah. Uh, she's talking to a newcomer about her life, uh, and then she, it, it triggers her to start remembering her past because the I think this isn't the line something like, "This is the land of the free" or something. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Or whatever it is, um. Right? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She's talking about getting off the boat and then realizing the voice had followed her all the way from England. Um. I will. I will say here as well. Um. I'd forgotten that this happened, but uh, No Surprises by Radiohead starts playing on the... Um, I don't even know what you call it, because it's like a self-playing piano. I guess it's like a a jukebox or something. 
Just say any 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 number of syllables and followed with the word phone, and it's yeah, 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 sure. A su- a Susan, my phone. Um, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is one of my favourite Radiohead songs, and I'd forgotten it was in this episode. And as soon as it started playing, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, you got me. But then, yeah, Maeve, because it, it, it's a very like kind of mournful, not and and, and kind of melancholy song, and um, it really suits Maeve's arc, not just in this scene, but just in general in this episode. Mm-hmm. This this um these flashes back she's having to some kind of like native uh, attack on like her homestead um and as the episode goes on it becomes clearer um oh i i, I maybe that's overselling it to say it becomes clearer it, it became clearer to me what that meant for her past and the, the past of her character obviously we've seen other characters be repurposed to different roles mm-hmm. around the park and yeah. my suspicion is that's what's happened with Maeve as well um and I love the the shift from her remembering something very horrific um, and that becomes even more horrific as we see more of it and and not just for what she what is inflicted upon her within the kind of narrative of of the attack but within but also in the broader sense of people that the, the um, you know the scientists and engineers subjecting her character to you know having a child having a homestead and mm-hmm. then taking her out of that but leaving the memories yeah. there and making her do something else but then to to, to go from that to the very cold analytics of uh, I can't remember where that is it is it like behavior or something? We don't even see the people. It's very explicit. We don't see their faces. Um, oh, those the, those people, they're in. They're the storyline. They're the narrative ones. Yeah. And then the behavior people are. That's where Elsie is. Yeah, like. Bernard and Elsie. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, the, the, the narrative people, like, just very unfeeling. They're like, I don't know, make her really, really proactive and aggressive because that, that like, so they, 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 they only appreciate the hosts on a very surface level for what they are. Like Maeve is a prostitute, therefore she needs to be aggressive to go out and get clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this kind of like threat of retirement if it goes wrong, and it's just so callous. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it it it's just it's Maeve's Maeve's storyline in this episode is so good. Um, and I I can't wait to see more of her character. Yeah, yeah, Maeve is one of my favorites in the in the show for sure. Um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing you sort of her her journey. Uh, okay, so we have then uh, Bernard and Ford uh, have mm. a wee chat, and uh, Bernard's sort of going there to Ford it, it, almost to uh, question whether or not. I think he was sort of trying to build him build the courage up to ask Ford, did he do something to the code or whatever? Yeah, because um, they had had a chat um, about that with Elsie already, uh, and it, Bernard said, "You taught me how to make them, but not how how hard it is to turn them off." Um, so- yeah, so this is interesting to me. So, uh, well, and the other thing they say as well is that uh, Bernard says uh, the photograph alone, or it might have been Ford who says this, but one of them says the photograph alone couldn't cause the damage we saw to Abernathy, which is very mm-hmm. interesting um, because it ties back into my theory previously about maybe Ed Harris's character, the Man in Black, tinkering away with some of these uh, some of these hosts over the last thirty years. Um, and yeah, the idea that Bernard hasn't retired a host before. That's that seems odd to me, given he seems to have worked here for a long time. Um, well, maybe, I don't maybe it's just implying that he's all he always feels this way whenever it happens, you know. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, maybe I'm just misreading that. They literally retired. Yeah, well, it was Abernethy he was talking about, wasn't it? Yeah, because they retired him last time. Um, yeah, he, whis- he whispered something, which is be- given Bernard's um, actions in this episode. Uh, he whispered something which is becoming increasingly suspicious in a- <laughs> in uh, in Abernathy's ear as he retired him. 
Yeah, and I think as well, um, Bernard questions, is it sabotage? And uh, Ford says, you know, I think it's Occam's razor here, obviously implying that just because you see a symptom of sabotage doesn't mean it is sabotage. You know, yeah. you, you're looking, you're thinking about this too much, you know? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, which seems like a very, very cavalier attitude, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, because obviously something is affecting the code, and he's very much just like, "Well, it's the shit's gonna happen. I'm going to die in a few years anyway." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my that was my Anthony Hopkins for the listeners at home. You are welcome for it. Yeah, I need to. Exactly. I think I, I need to hone it. I'll hone it over the. I I, I can't believe Anthony Hopkins is going to be in that much of this show because he's fucking Anthony Hopkins. So um, I haven't. I'll have to just keep practicing the uh, the um the the accent while he's in the show. And then after he's gone, you you, you can be the uh, the voice of him, and then sure. like it'll it'll be like he's still here with yeah. us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, through you. Um, I like as well that uh, the little speech that Ford gives here, and he sort of he describes that he explains that uh, if they were living hundreds of years ago, they would have been burnt at the stake because yeah. what they do is witchcraft. Yeah, we create life out of chaos, which mm-hmm. is. Um, a word, chaos specifically, that comes back later in this episode uh, by another character who maybe has a relationship with Ford. We'll see. We'll see. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So William and Logan make it to town. They're walking through. Uh, William knocks into some big guy and uh, is immediately like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then Logan's like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck are you doing? I would 100% be like that as well. Like, I'd be like, I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so sorry. And like, just uh, be really polite to all the hosts. Um, yeah. It's like when um, when when you go to, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you, if you go to like a really fancy restaurant and they're like pulling your chairs out for you and everything, and it just oh, feels yeah. really uncomfortable to have people like waiting that much on you. Like, it's fine. I can do my own chair, guys. Well, I, I actually, uh, I've been so socially awkward before in a restaurant where they've actually done the thing where they pour a little bit of wine in my glass and oh, yeah. they, won't, they won't be to taste it. Um, and I've... <laughs> I've actually uh, maybe come across as a bit of a dick, but they I, I really didn't want didn't want to I don't like partaking in things that are just theatricality for theatricality's sake. Yeah. I mean there is um, a reason for that, to be no, fair. No, there's not because it's they, to make they, sure the wine isn't corked. It was a twist cap. Oh, uh, okay, fine, yeah, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> so it was a twist cap and yeah, I was so really socially good. awkward about it, I just went, No, you don't have to do that, that's not a cork bottle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean that is ridiculous to do it for a twist cap. I don't think there's any reason for that I was, beyond yeah. purely performative. That's what I'm saying. Like, if it was a cork, I, I would put up with the social awkwardness of having to do it because I understand that actually, yes, we need to check if it's cork. But the twist cap, I I can't, I, <laughs> yeah. I can't like I, was I can't a rest- be a party to this. I, I, was, I was at a restaurant the other, the, the other day uh, actually um, with with my my wife and my brother-in-law, and we were, I was watching another table, and luckily our waiter didn't do it to us this time. But another table, I saw them do it, right? So they, they, they twisted the twist cap off and put a little bit in the glass, right? And the woman, like, sipped it and went, oh, lovely, yes, yes. And all the people around the table looked at her like, oh, fancy. Yeah. And, I'm just, and I'm just like, oh, my God, that is my worst nightmare. That's- no, you need to go the other way with it. You take a sip, immediately send it back. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's corked. It's corked. Yeah, yeah. It's a power play. You need to do yeah. it. Just like... You're like- yeah. Bring no, I won't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely corked, and then the guy's yeah. like, "But it's not even got a cork in it." It's like, "What the fuck are you asking me to taste for?" Then? <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Uh, right. All right. Okay. So anyway, that was a little little wine detour. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, um, so I would be very much like William here. Uh, yeah. 
kind of uh, like falling for every hook i do wonder as well again like with this logan character he's you know he seems to know the park so well and he's like kind of rejecting the like the all the story hooks that are thrown at him which like you said last week are kind of like these rpg style exclamation marks popping up over people people's heads being like i've got a quest for you what is he planning to do like it seems you mean mean logan's just ignoring them all well yeah like what is his plan is this is like um it puts me in mind of like some holidays I've been on where we've gone to, you know, like a really nice historic town that happens to have a beach as well. And we get them like, do you want to go to the museum or, you know, see these really old, see these really old architecture? There's some lovely restaurants out there. And they're like, no, nah, I'm just going to go sit on the beach. Like, what do you, what is the plan here, Logan? <laughs> like, you can't do that for two weeks. Uh, can you imagine? Like, this is why I think Logan, one of the reasons why in the real world he's probably a huge dick as well. Yeah. Because you imagine, like, Robin, what. Imagine me showing you this show, right? Right, and imagine we were sitting down watching it together, and I'm just like, right, okay, this is a show. All right, they're doing some crappy cowboy stuff. Let's fast forward to the good stuff. Fast forward, yeah. you know, like he can't even sit and let William enjoy it. Like, yeah, like it, it, this is this is like a marvel of the modern world. It's just like, <laughs> don't worry about all this. We're go- I'm gonna get you to the good stuff. And it's like, and the good stuff is apparently him having a foursome and then stabbing a man in the hand. It's like this is not fun at all for anyone <laughs> apart from you, Logan, and it shouldn't be fun for you. <laughs> I, yeah like it's literally just the killing because i would imagine i don't actually know if logan has a partner i can't remember but if you are if you want to go and have a sex with a load of people you can go do that in the real world so yeah. it, is <laughs> it is literally that he wants to kill people that's that's it um, yeah he he right. i'm not a fa- not a logan fan not a logan fan i'm gonna i'm gonna put my cards on the table <laughs> No. Okay. Uh, I think I think I'd probably be with you there. To be honest with you, I, I like William though. I, I like I like someone who's as, as sort of uh, socially awkward as him. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, the sorry thing happens. Clementine asks if they want to come in. Uh, see, Clementine says, "Got to, uh, see something you like." And Logan says, "At least a couple of things." Uh, <laughs> we know what he's up to. We know yeah. what he's up to. Classic Logan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the old man with the eye patch falls off the wagon. Uh, <laughs> I just love. I love that he's like he's an old man on the floor covered in mud. Oh my god! And William's like, "Are you all right?" And Logan's like, "Leave him." <laughs> yeah, he's gonna rope you into something. All right. So if you just took took the context out of it, it's so harsh. Yeah. Old man. <laughs> and then later on, I felt so sorry for this this old host. He's like, well, he might be a new host, but he's an old man, and he's just like standing there on the side, you know, when they're at the bar or they're at the restaurant, and he's just he's just like, "Hello, yes, you helped me earlier." I'm just like, oh, this is so, this guy's so pathetic. Yeah. So- <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, they definitely make you feel for this character with very little screen time. It's it's a triumph of performance and uh, economy of writing. I think. Yeah, I thought I thought he was really cool. Um, and I have another flash of Dolores talking to Bernard again. Um, <laughs> yeah, boy, boy, howdy is she? And this one really seems actually they they give a little bit more context. They zoom out the camera a little bit, and it seems like there's a little bit. Of secrecy going on on here with Bernard. Yes, I don't know where they're meeting, but so they've had 138 encounters, and Bernard is getting her to delete recordings or delete records of their meetings with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a few thoughts about this. First off, Bernard seems shady as fuck to me. Um, is my <laughs> that's that's my first my first point of of order with this relationship i think the the impression i get from bernard as a character is that he is kind of the heir apparent to ford in terms of approaching this with a sense of kind of like artistry and curiosity to the life that is being created but Mm -hmm. i think 
Ford is, while Ford is also guilty of some of that arrogance or, or, or hubris uh, associated with essentially playing God, I get the impression that Ford is a lot more measured um, and a lot more careful, whereas Bernard seems to be playing with fire here. He, he, he seems fascinated with Dolores and the fact that Dolores is clearly demonstrating some degree of self-awareness um, mm-hmm. that he's not reporting. And I, I think he talks to her to learn about this, but I also view this almost as a kind of form of confession for him. Like he is speaking to her to kind of absolve himself of the guilt of not, of, of allowing this to, allowing this this kind of nascent life to flourish i guess which i mean is it is an act of kindness in one way but the way he's doing it and the way he's kind of manipulating it himself and taking full control over who knows about it and how it's controlled is very arrogant i think um so Mm. yeah i'm really interested to see what happens with bernard's character because he he seems to be yeah, he definitely seems to be of of all the scientists uh, who are all meddling with forces beyond their control. Bernard seems to be the one who is like, you're you're pushing the boundaries of this in some dangerous ways. Hmm, interesting. All right. Well, I'm not going to say too much about that. But okay. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. So uh, we'll catch up with Bernard later on. Maeve is now more aggressive. Yeah. Um, and still not working. Ten percent more, to be exact. And, yeah. uh, I love, I love that. Like the percentage <laughs> talk. It's like, what does that mean? What is a hundred percent aggression? <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's Vinnie Jones as well. Hundred percent sta- aggression. Just standing, smacking your own head against the wall. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so she seemed uh, like she was. This is funny actually because they they made her more aggressive, and then she was talking to a woman, and she seemed like she actually was going to be successful in getting this yeah. woman's custom, but then she went aggressive and she lost her. And I thought yeah. to myself, it sort of shows you that the uh, the storyline narrative people don't actually know anything. It's, it sort of solidifies that point you made earlier where they, they don't care, they don't really know what's going on, you know? Well, and, and they just don't know people as well, which I think mm-hmm. is a, is an idea that they revisit later when, when Ford um, interjects yeah. in the proposal of the new narrative because yeah, yeah, yeah. they think they know people, but, the, and, and it, you know, they are... I, I, I rate the Lee character over the coals and I stand by it. I think he is... There are a lot of kind of character stereotypes in this, and I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way because that's how you introduce characters in most TV series like this is you kind of introduce them as an archetype and then you sort of broaden them from there. And I'm sure that'll be the case with him and the security guy. But I think Lee's stereotype and and the entire narrative department are just the, the most kind of like the soulless lacking in empathy marketing speak kind of people who don't actually understand anything about the people they're selling to or 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 the 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 people they're trying to uh recreate in the hosts and yeah this is a great example of that where it's like this is just 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 doesn't work like maybe it's just a scary lady now i mean she was a scary lady before but she's scarier now yeah um yeah it's it's not it's not good i if they had just done nothing, maybe maybe it would have been okay. Yeah. But now maybe yes. down down a path. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. um, also she says to Clementine, "Never open your mouth unless someone's paying you for it." Um, <laughs> yeah, great line. A little quick, a little quick. Um, <laughs> Clementine's having nightmares, but it doesn't actually seem. It seems as I I don't know about you, but I sort of gauged from Clementine describing her nightmares. That they were now maybe maybe not, but I think that they were potentially scripted. Uh, that yeah, t- I, th- I think yeah. Um, I think the nightmares 
that Dolores and Maeve are having, they are very explicitly not talking to other people about. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the ones Clementine's talking about, I suspect, are actual um, scripted nightmares. Which, I, you know, again, is the, kind of the genius of this show is you can find yourself getting lost in the narrative of the hosts, mm-hmm. um, and, and yeah. you always need to kind of pull yourself back and be like, oh, is that real or is that is that not real? And then what does real even yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I would say for this is that if it is scripted, what a horribly cruel thing to do to like script them to have nightmares. It's like you, you know, you can you're playing God here. You don't have to make them have nightmares. Um, and and that seems like one of those little things that maybe they you know crunch the numbers on and were like, oh, this will give this reverie uh, a certain percentage more uh, more of a kind of emotional content if they are troubled in some way by by bad sleep but it's just mm-hmm. yeah it's a horrible thing to do to someone that you don't have to yeah it is it is awesome and i think as well it's interesting because yeah the fact that she was saying that she wasn't sleeping uh made me think that it was scripted because um because they they mentioned that the hosts can't actually have dreams or nightmares but they know what they are um having said that though mave did say that she does have nightmares I mean, does. they definitely are having nightmares. We're watching them have, night- have nightmares. No, no, I know, so. I know that. But they're, they're not just happening while they're sleeping. You know, it's not yeah. really, it's not yeah, really nightmares. True. They're more, more sort of their whole cognitive function is being taken over by something. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but anyway, so something to watch out for. Anyway, um, yeah. So more May flashbacks, and also Teddy pops up here now. Teddy pops up. He's at the bar. Loves this bar, Teddy does. Love, yeah, and you know the bar loves him as well. Nothing bad will ever happen to Teddy in this bar. This I'm is sure his, his safe place. Yeah, this, this is, is a yeah. safe place. A safe place for James Marsden. He's absolutely <laughs> at home here, and nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so now uh, we've sort of we've talked mostly about everything on the dinner with Logan and William. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Just. I mean, he just sucks. He's just the he, he like I I just I feel like it needs to, it bears repeating every time he's on screen that he's just an awful awful person. Yeah, it, it is true, but then we go from one awful person into another. Yep. Mr. Lee, Lee Sizemore. Um, yeah. He is a bully boss, we could say. He uh he's really screaming again at everyone. He's uh, yelling about the size of the nose of a particular host they created. Yeah. Talking about did you just put a penis on his face? Uh also, Pretty... openly openly threatening the um, security lady is it Teresa, the, sco- yeah. the the security lady's name. Yeah, so you know, talking about how um, when our dear leader eventually departs, he won't be the only old. I can't actually remember what he says, but it's something like uh, the only old thing that gets gotten rid of. Um, to me, implying that Teresa is also going to be out when um, when Ford goes, which. I, 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 on one hand, I believe him because characters like this, or indeed people like this in the real world, have an annoying knack of surviving and thriving in these kind of environments. But at the same time, quite dangerous to just openly threaten someone like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't read it that way. To be honest with you, I completely see what you mean, though. I thought I, my, my, my mind just went. Mm. Knowing Lee now, probably you are right. But for some reason, I was think I thought he just meant like all the old hosts would be gone and stuff. Uh, uh, he, or maybe, maybe, maybe even Bernard. He's talking about as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it could be, mean any number of things. I, th- yeah. I think the reason I interpreted it as being t- directed at Teresa is because he tried to kind of form an alliance with her in the last episode, and she basically told him to yeah. fuck off. And now he's like, "Well, you had your chance, and now, now you're on the outs." Yeah, when when Odyssey, the new uh, the new storyline kicks up, you're going to be gone. Uh, oh, oh, really? Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Ford goes for a walk. Yes. 
and he, he finds, does he, uh, uh, he finds I, I think if I wrote in my notes he finds a child but actually the child kind of finds him um, yes and, and, and asks are you lost uh, there's a little bit of a talk about like only boring people feel bored yeah. um, apparently both of their fathers yeah both of their dads say that it's weird that almost as if almost as if this boy is a recreation of himself as a child oh is that a theory Yes, that's very much a theory in the, <laughs> in the nature of it. This, this weird little little English boy wandering around the outside of the, of the park. Seems wearing the same clothes. Yeah, wearing the same clothes and talking about the same thing that their dad used to say. I wonder if this could possibly be Anthony Hopkins recreating himself, uh, or Ford rather recreating himself. Um, yeah, this is, this, is a, uh, this is a cool scene, actually, and it, you know, it goes on. Um, into into other like you know it's cut it's cut up uh, interspersed with other scenes, but this is a cool scene for Ford's character actually. Um, in what it reveals, I'm not going to talk about what I think is the biggest reveal in this scene, uh, or what I think is a reveal until we get to it. But there's a lot that we get about the wider story of some characters here, and a lot we get about Ford's character in terms of well, I mean, if he's recreated himself, um it certainly speaks to that like longing for a simpler time that he seems to have uh, you know or, or not so much a simpler time but that longing for when humans were had like their their life ahead of them and they were kind of still developing into something exciting and new mm-hmm. which uh you know it, it, he's spoken about that in terms of the human race in its entirety but i think that's probably also true for himself as an individual you know he longs for the childhood where his whole life was ahead of him and he could have been anything um because from where he's sitting at the end of his life it's it's very stagnant i imagine yeah yep okay awesome uh interesting theory let's see if that comes true Mm. real shot in the dark that one I mm, yeah we'll see. <laughs> I've got I've got I've got some I've got some confidence in that one. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, so the man in black and Lawrence uh, apparently are old friends, according to the man in black, and mm. uh, they they go to his hometown. Um, yep. The man in black starts like lining up the bullets on the table. Yeah, yeah. Is really really great cool. stuff. Great Give, stuff. Gives two bullets to uh, to the to the to the wife or whatever, and says, "Here, Lawrence's daughter, yeah." And says, "You get to decide what we're doing with these." (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Talks about the maze again. Uh, The cousins, Lawrence's cousins, get some men to come, and William just kills everyone. Yep, great little shootout, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, Some some like really really like kind of well shot action here especially considering that ed harris is pretty old and he's not very mobile obviously you know he doesn't need to be ducking and weaving um because the bullets aren't affecting him but it's still you know for, for an action scene where one of the people is standing completely still uh, I, I i really enjoyed it um couple of things to note here um he references uh the man in black that is references that life outside the game is chaos so there's that word again so we've yeah. had ford mention it in a previous scene and now we've had uh, the man in black mention it um and there's a, there's a brief cutaway i might have misheard this but i was going to ask you a question about it where um they uh they cut to inside the facility where the security guy is being asked what they want to do about the man in black because he's messing up a whole town in yeah. in new mexico or wherever or the new mexico area or whatever this is supposed to be and um and the the security guy says that gentleman gets whatever he wants which to yeah. me reads as they know who he is and he's allowed to do whatever he wants in the park rather than just a i suppose you could read it as just a blanket he's a guest he gets to do whatever he wants like, as all guests are but to me i interpreted it as special treatment for um 
for the man in black. I think you're interpreting the way it was imp- it was intended. I think they're sort of implying he's a VIP. Yeah. Um, so they know of him, which mm-hmm. is interesting. And then there's there's some great stuff here about like when when so he, he says like when you're suffering, you're like mo- you're most real. Which going back to my theory in the previous episode about how I think 30 years ago something affected him in the catastrophic failure, which is why he seems to now be set on a path to maybe unravel the the functioning of the park. Um, Feels like he maybe includes himself in that, that the suffering that he felt 30 years ago is what has kind of made him into the man he is, uh, he is today. And then after the, uh, after the shootout, we get uh, Lawrence's daughter saying some real weird stuff. Some odd, very odd things. Now, follow the blood arroyo. Is that how what she said? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what uh, a blood arroyo is, but um, might be a star. Maybe a star. Maybe yeah. Maybe maybe a river. I can't yeah. quite remember myself to be honest with you. Um, uh, I think I'm gonna. I I I've watched two episodes now. I'm fully back in. I think between now and next week, I'm gonna just binge the whole rest of the first. Oh, season. I'm so jealous. I, I every time I watch this, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is hard to not watch. Yeah. It's because it, it's 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 real good stuff at the moment. But uh, but yeah. So follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Very very kind of uh, again very like kind of prosaic and arch uh, dialogue. But I think so. Th- there's a more kind of like functional question I have here, which is that like why does this girl suddenly switch from character host to revealing things about the nature of this game and why do, why does she do it in such in such a way as this um it's really interesting to me because it seems like what we see in this episode is maybe when characters are subjected or when hosts are subjected to like extreme trauma they kind mm. of revert to like a kind of base level functioning where they where they're you know they have they have their 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 like cognition is such that they're kind of able to act on instinct to a certain extent so we see it a bit later with Maeve i think um but it's just still really interesting to me that the way that this host gives these clues is done in this like almost like riddles, which mm-hmm. yeah seems very odd to me. Yeah, like it almost implies like to get to the next step of this game, he needed to make a host feel like the like hundred percent trauma, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. it sort of clicked on, or maybe maybe this was the level of the game, like you had to get to the point where you kill this man's wife. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe it's just like literally like an objective. Just, yeah, just thing. steps in like a in steps in a quest line or something. It could be that I hadn't considered that to be honest, but yeah, maybe it is just that. Yeah. Uh, so Ford does his uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah. Snake snake charmer. <laughs> snake charmer act. Yeah. Um, so we get we get a name mentioned in this part of this scene where the little boy who definitely isn't Ford as a child uh, <laughs> mentions a character called Tommy. Um, which sounds very much like a brother or maybe a close friend to me. I know the accents are wrong, but this feels to me, the way these scenes are placed next to each other and the way they've both mentioned chaos, that they're saying that the man in black is Tommy and is either Ford's brother or a good friend that maybe used to work with him on this park um, 30 years ago. That's kind of where I'm at with this at the moment. Interesting. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I I, I feel like... (laughs) I feel like that's that if that it turns out to be true that asks a lot of questions about what he's doing and why he's doing it if he used to work here and now doesn't but also he's being allowed to do what he's doing well too. yeah yeah and he's being allowed to do it by people who know who he is so 
I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, it's, it's the shorthand for that. Awesome. Okay. Uh, okay, so... Um... Not much else really going on with Ford and the Child there. Anything else you wanted to do? Um, no, Talk not about really. A, a town with a white church is mentioned. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm not sure if I'd like put too much attention towards the latter parts of that. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that's that's kind of just set it, like talking about where um, where they grew up. But I mean, maybe that will be somewhere that he recreates in Westworld. Uh, certainly, there is a black. We see the roof of oh, the black roof of a what seems like a church at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's I don't know drawing from his own um, drawing from his own past for this new narrative that he's creating. Yeah. Uh, okay. Pretty cool. Uh, Bernard and Teresa get it on. Yes. Yeah, so this is this is probably why Bernard isn't getting on with his son and uh, and the mother of his son. <laughs> if, if I were to guess, this probably this probably has a has played a part in that. <laughs> There's a lovely shot here as well when Bernard is going back to his apartment of like all the escalators, um, the kind of top-down shot of all of them running. It just gives a sense of scale of the place as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, um, I, I didn't really remember that these two were an item, um, to be honest. Uh, so this this caught me uh, caught me a bit off guard, but certainly explains some things about their strange relationships with with their absent families. Oh, well, I, I don't know what Teresa's family is, situation is like, actually. Maybe she has no one. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But yeah, it's interesting. It is an interesting little dynamic to introduce for, for the story going forward anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so now Maeve is getting adjusted now by the behavior team. Mm. And they, they up her emotional acuity by 1.5%. <laughs> yeah, again. What does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I love one thing. Obviously, obviously, the science mumbo jumbo is hilarious. Yeah. But, but also, like the the storyline people, the narrative people were like, pop aggression ten percent, and then they're like emotional <laughs> yeah. acuity one point five. Yeah, just an absolute like just just scorched earth approach to this in the narrative. It's like I don't know, make it more aggressive, and if that doesn't work, send her over to the send her over to the the engineers to 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 you know figure out what's really going on. And yeah, this like I mean, I think did you say Elsie? This this character's name, Elsie. Elsie, yeah, yeah. So she, I mean, she loves her creations, perhaps a little too much, one might say. Um, <laughs> but there's definitely she has some of the same qualities of, as Bernard, I think, where she views them almost as like kind of children or you know mm-hmm. she has she has some kind of real relationship with them um but yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of talk in here about about you know do they dream and like memories and concepts of dreams and uh and and like nightmares and what they're actually experiencing and and how the only thing that they're probably going to experience into, as an actual dream is what's happening to them when they're being cleaned and, and rewritten when they're they're, mm. they're brought in um which a doesn't appear to be the case based on what we're seeing of of Maeve and I guess to a lesser extent Dolores as well um and B uh that kind of rears its head <laughs> later on in this episode with Maeve yeah no it definitely does uh, but I think they also mentioned like that it was it was sort of as a as a fail safe like if they accidentally remembered the the backstage area that that it the, the the fact that they know what a nightmare is would would be like a fail safe that they wouldn't think it was real um yeah Oh, I see. Oh. Yeah, that, that I think I might have mis mis uh, misread that, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that they think they're dreaming when they're there, so that they yeah. don't suddenly gain an appreciation yeah. of, they, of what they're actually yeah. in. If they forget to write, wipe their memory, for example, yeah. obviously we're going to see that completely be tested with Maeve at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. 
Um, okay, so uh, we'll quickly mention before we go into the Maeve uh, sort of waking up stuff, Teddy does get killed. Oh, he does get shot again. <laughs> I mean, That's, I thought, yes, James Marsden's finally in this episode. Uh, not on, like, uh, uh, like, uh, this is a new record for me. A character dying three times in the space <laughs> of two episodes of television is that's a that is a new high. And uh, I just I love how like he is just like humiliated as a character mm-hmm. constantly. Like in this, you know, he gets shot. Like you know, he he's he's set, he he's going through his like you know taciturn gunslinger monologue um at the bar and saying all these charming things and then he just gets shot in the back and shot in the face and it's just mm-hmm. like what the, the, i think i feel like the show is kind of setting us up to feel like or obviously feel sympathy for these characters but to feel like you're pushing these character characters towards something here like this mm-hmm. this character is being like subjected to horrific violence um and and the guy the guy who shoots him like there's no reason for it as well it's just some jock who's like woo and like yeah. just yeah, starts yeah, yeah. like shooting up the place it's 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 such a pointless and meaningless death um and it really it, I, I think it really works in this scene and it's and you know for Maeve it's really interesting how she like tries to process it as well because she kind of she she seems shocked when it first happens but then it's almost like business as usual after yeah. a few seconds and she has to just return to her uh, her programmed routine um while she has a bunch of teddy's blood in her face yep exactly and i i think it's interesting as well like because when they show behind the scenes a couple of times when they have and like this time obviously i'm just talking not about mave's storyline here just the actual mechanics of what happens after they kill them like the hosing them down, the sewing them up. Yeah. There's a lot that has to happen to get them back into the park. <clears throat> yeah. So, so therefore, like, whenever this guy comes over and just starts shooting at Teddy and kills him, in my mind, I'm just like, I know it's not a real human life, but I'm just like, look at how much effort has to go in now just because you wanted to shoot that one. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, look at the cleanup we have to do for well, you. Well, yeah, idiot. I mean, not to mention, you know, the very, I mean, we'll get there when we get there, but like the very, very stark imagery that Maeve sees, you know, with the piles of bodies, uh, it, it's, it's there, there's a definite, like, yeah, the, the park itself has to go through so much to actually get these these hosts back up and running. Um, but what, um, what they have to do as well, I, I feel like it must have a, a, a cost I wonder if they're going to get into it actually I feel like it would have a cost on the humans who are doing the cleanup, as mm. well as the hosts who are being cleaned up and I, I wonder if they're ever going to get into that yeah because they're so lifelike yeah it, it, like you know there's literally rooms full of it's, it's a mass grave essentially yeah. like it, it's it, it's it's horrific um, and you know you can say they're not real all you want but yeah at some point that stops mattering if they you know they they weigh about as much as a human they bleed like a human and they you know they they presumably i, I wonder if they make them like smell probably not right <laughs> probably not actually this is a really good uh this is a really good time to ask you we got one we got one listener question this week and i thought i'd just introduce it in now because okay we're talking we're, we're talking about now we can spend a couple of minutes just answering it before we go into sort of the big finale of the episode um Basically, the question comes from Adventurous Rover, and they ask, um, what are your thoughts on the ethical problem that this episode brings up? Can cheating on your partner with a robot be considering, considered as cheating at all? <laughs> um, I would say yes. That would be my take on that. I think I, I would be... 
it it is it is an interesting question because it's not you're you're not i guess technically having sex with another person and there's you know there's a gray area between you know what is the difference between i don't know like a fleshlight and like a full-on functional sex robot but i definitely think at some point your experience goes beyond masturbatory and into i'm having sex with someone else and that's the point at which it becomes uh kind of emotional cheating if not technical cheating like i think that's what Mm -hmm. that's where i would land on it yeah i'm gonna let conrad sort of do most of the description here because you know (laughs) uh there are implications to me talking about such things uh yeah it's fine. But, I'm just I'm just engaged rather than married. Yes, yeah. no, we no, can no, still no, pull no, out. No, no. I, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, uh, sort of vocationally, I shall say. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but 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 but, but I will say uh, that I think I think it all boils down to the emotional connection you can you yeah. can create. Um, and of course, you could argue like those like those products that you can buy, which are basically a full on sized human. You can't like th- those those people do create connections but i think the emotional connection that, that you can get with a person in this park is very much different yeah I, th- I think there's there's still i will we'll, I mean, i'm sure as a society we will get there eventually where you can have sex with a lifelike robot um or, or you know lifelike animated human doll or whatever you know we're not not that far away from it already and when that happens that will we will then start having those ethical questions of like to what extent does recreating a hum- another human to have sex with constitute, uh, you know, cheating on your partner? And, um, you know, I think if it could well be the case that the idea of a monogamous relationship has to, has to you know, shift to accommodate that change in, in, you know, our sexual relationships. But certainly from where I'm sitting right now in the year of our Lord 2021, I would be, if I went there and, and had sex with one of the hosts, I I would come back and be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like it wouldn't, I, it, I think, I w- it wouldn't be good. Well, yeah, it, it, I think, I think to be honest with you, I think as well, it would be almost like it, you, it would be the same as cheating. Like, it would be the same as cheating, but oh, in terms yeah. of the, yeah. you, you wouldn't even come back and be like, sorry. It would be like, no, no. If, if you were the type, if you were the type to go and do that, you would, you would also be the type to keep it a secret. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, like I suppose if you, if you went like and 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 like had sex with one of the hosts, you'd be like, okay, well this is as a, you would definitely you you would know in your heart of hearts that like you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so um, thanks very much, adventurous raw uh, rover. Mm. Great question. Yeah, uh, I love questions like that. Yeah. Uh, so especially as well, obviously all the the, the subject matter of this series, there's going to be like big like sort of philosophical questions. We're not qualified, but ask us ask us some anyway because we do want to have a chat. We'll give, about- we'll give it a good old try. We'll give it a good good college try. Okay, so Maeve uh, is starting to remember again. She remembers a uh, sort of a Native American attack, yeah. but whenever the whenever the sort of chief or the the leader of this group comes into the house, it actually mm. is the man in black in her memory. Yeah. Um, what did you think <clears throat> about that? So that is, he must have got to her like he got to Dolores. And done something to her. I believe that I believe that the nightmare, sh- <clears throat> the nightmare she's having of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the nightmare she's having of the native attack on the homestead, is a memory of a past life that she lived in the park. You know where she wasn't a prostitute. Maybe she was just like a homesteader out, out in the out in the sticks somewhere. And and this was a one of the narratives that occurred. 
And I think the fact that she is now remembering it is because at one point the man in black came and did something to her. Um, either similar thing to Lawrence where he subject... I mean, it certainly seems like it's a similar thing to Lawrence because the last thing she sees is him getting his knife out where he subjected her to so much trauma that this memory became like indelibly linked to like the front of her of her mind and it wasn't something that she could forget or, or no longer access. Um, so yeah, I think this is... The Man in Black has done the same thing to Maeve that he did to Dolores that night um, in the first episode and that he's possibly done to other hosts in the park as well. Um, and that's why she is having these dreams. It's interesting that she didn't seem to be having them before Dolores spoke to her, which is why I was thinking, oh, is that like these violent delights have violent ends thing, kind of like an activation line to, 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 to bring these memories back or or is it just convenient uh, like convenient timing? I'm not sure on that yet. Okay. Uh cool. Uh so she's back. Yeah. In real she's in the real world. She yeah. counts she does her thing, three, two, one, and she wakes up and there's a couple of doofuses yeah. operating on her. Real doofuses. Yeah, yeah, these real guys real doofuses. Comedy double act. They're just like <laughs> talking about, you know, how to wash your hands and MRSA. Um So you know, okay. you know who they remind me of? Who? They remind me of uh norm and will smith from tested you know those yes two? yeah absolutely they do yeah um yeah that's uh that they they definitely have that about them couple of couple of doofuses um so okay first off this situation is really fucked like mave holding in her like sliced open abdomen while she tries yeah. to run around on bare feet is gross but also they seem quite scared that they're she scared can hurt shitless. them well, and, but, shitless. and she like grabs a knife which you know their cool programming is supposed to stop the host from ever hurting another mm-hmm. a, a person but she grabs an, a knife and she threatens them and they're scared shitless so <laughs> yeah. uh something's going on there that is like the cool programming ain't working for this one guys also um, also it's interesting because like if it was tandy way newton in a room and grabbed the knife obviously any human being man or woman with a knife at you it's going to be quite intimidating yeah having said that i'm a pretty big guy I, you know i could i could probably take take a little blade going into me and then you know subdue her having yeah. said that when there's a real mystique around these hosts it's like how strong are these things what's yeah. going on like it's, it is literally just like a robot in the room with you you know yeah yeah, she's like the Vision, like in the Avengers movies. Like she's <laughs> yeah, gonna yeah. fucking laser you and then punch you through a wall. Um, <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you? If you're making robots, you might as well make them superheroes at the same time, just in case. And yeah, you know, 100%. actually, having said, that, I am kind of joking when I say that. But we did talk in uh, and, and corporate get mentioned again in this episode. But we talked in the previous episode about how I'm assuming that the corporate interest in these things it goes beyond just having a park of cool robot hosts and towards like military applications for this technology because why wouldn't it you know if you can make life like robot soldiers that you know can behave it can perform exactly as you want them to perform and don't have annoying things like emotions or ptsd or things like that why wouldn't you turn those into soldiers it just seems like something that we will if you were the one who wanted to have an army and wanted to invade other countries and stuff yeah why wouldn't you yeah um, um i wouldn't because i i'm anti-war i would like to have and listen i'm anti-war as well but i would like to have a robot army <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
I would yeah. like that. I, I would I'd... like that to be the new like sport. Like every country has their own. It's like Formula One. You have yeah. your own robot army, <laughs> yeah. and like you, you, they go to battle. Yeah, you're just on a big like uh, on like an American football stadium size thing <laughs> yeah. because you yeah. need the space. You just get like a hundred robots from each side, and they just run it. Basically, what we've talked about, what we've invented here, this is a sign that we're no better than the people who go to this part because what we've essentially invented invented here is the Roman Colosseum, but for hosts, where we're like, uh, yeah, I'm, they- I'm uh, yeah, I'm happy for them to be really rudimentary robots though like they don't have they don't have to be lifelike robots like the ones in that huge oh, what's that hugh jackman boxing oh, yeah, robot re- real movie? steel yeah, real i'm steel. happy, I'm happy <laughs> for them to be like real steel okay robots. yeah that's fine as long as they don't look like people that's fine Just robot wars all i want is robot uh, bring it back come bring on back. bring craig charles bring robot wars back yeah. on tv yeah get matilda out there um and the other one sergeant bash and sir killer lot I don't remember which one's which. Uh, yes, but so, I mean, this is all sorts of fucked up. Maeve has overridden her sleep mode, I think, mm-hmm. here. The guy swears he put he put her in sleep mode. I believe him, um, but she's overridden it. Maybe as a result of what, what the, like, the extreme emotional, like, stimuli she is receiving. Um, but it's a great scene. And, and uh, as we said before, the, the, the image of her, like, running... Um, across the kind of open air bridge into the the what is essentially like a morgue with these bodies just piled up being washed down by people in uh like pve it, it feels like almost like you know footage you watch of you know like concentration camps or something yeah. like that and I, I think it's definitely designed to evoke that kind of imagery of these bodies just being callously discarded and treated um and then recycled back into back in circulation yeah, well, they also show us Teddy in the tank as well. Yep. Obviously to make Maeve sees him, but it's also for our own emotional response to yeah. seeing this. They definitely want us to feel empathy for these hosts. Yeah, you, you know, know like t- Teddy is in, in in and we talked we talked about this before, but there are traditional western narratives happening in this show, and in a traditional western narrative, Teddy is the main character. He's a protagonist. He's the guy who rolls back into town, gets in some gunfights, gets the girl, and every everything ends happily ever after. There are like a billion John Wayne movies where this happens, and Teddy yeah is essentially the John Wayne analog and in this he has been humiliated um you know he's had his 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 girl so to speak stolen from him and then he's been killed uh he has been like shot in the street by for narrative purposes by Lee and now he's just been killed by some random dude in a bar um for for no reason other than he was there so he's the fact that they're like constantly humiliating this character I think is really interesting and really like tugs at the heartstrings when you see his body here yeah, yep, yeah, I agree with you. Um, so Maeve then it implies that she, they, they, well, they, oh, they they inject her in the neck and she sort of subdues. Um, Dolores from the start of the episode is back now. She's walking out, to the, <laughs> yeah, back into the garden, and um, and she digs up a gun. Yep, I reckon that's a real one too. <laughs> so that's my that like I think so. I was questioning before how the guns work you know they can shoot um hosts and they can't shoot people mm-hmm. and i wonder if i i, I wonder if they're going to get into the physics of it because it seems really hard to do something like that um but the, the fact this is a gun that's been buried makes me think the man in black left it here and this is a real gun so she has a gun now which i'm sure won't be a plot device in future <laughs> No, no, there's there's no such thing as a Chekhov's gun in this show. Tell you that. <laughs> um, That's his okay. name. It's Tommy Chekhov. Um. <laughs> Tommy Chekhov, <laughs> and it is his gun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Mr. Sizemore, 
finally unveils oh, his great. new storyline. He's been working on it for ages, you know, a couple of, 20 minutes at least. And uh, it's called The Odyssey on Red River. Yeah. He, cl- he gets a clap, and then all of a sudden, Ford just says, ah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is... Um... Ford is Ford is very much like the Richard Hammond character in this situation where he's like, you know, he's playing with forces he doesn't really understand and he's a little bit arrogant, but God, I love him. Like, he's just, he's always there to shoot down the scumbags who work for him and who he continues to employ for some reason. Um, and I love the... Uh, Richard after, Hammond? Uh, Richard Hammond from, from Jurassic Park. Oh, I thought you, I'm thinking of Richard Hammond from Top Gear. No, the fucking no. Ri- I was like, if anything, he's James May. No, he's none of that. He's none of those wankers. He's the, he's he's Richard Hammond from Jurassic Park, played by um, played by what's what's his face? Um, oh my Richard, god, a- Richard I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be strung up. Richard Attenborough, yeah, that's the one. Um, David Attenborough's brother. I think it's Richard Hammond. It's, oh no, it's John Hammond. Sorry, not Richard Hammond. Um, it's Richard Attenborough uh, yeah. playing Richard Attenborough yeah. playing playing John Hammond. Yeah, so we both got it wrong. We can play. No, I got it right because you said Richard Hammond. And I thought of Richard Hammond. Listen, you know what I meant. Uh, <laughs> like you're, you're the one that's introduced Top Gear into this and, and ruined the podcast in doing so. Clarkson's uh, Farm, Amazon, <laughs> Roger. <laughs> I'm not watching that. No, I refuse to. I refuse to watch anything with those assholes in it. Um, I, I love him. I love. <laughs> I love. I love John Hammond slash Ford. He's a good egg. Um, I'm really interested to see what his narrative that he's proposing instead it does it, it speaks it, it's almost a little bit malicious this because he's just like says no and then he's like and then uh, uh, not to jump forward but then he's talking with bernard as they walk uh, mm-hmm. around the yeah. sort of desert area and he says oh i've got an exciting new narrative that the board are going to have and if he's been planning this new narrative the whole time it does seem a little spiteful that he even let lee plan this narrative just to be like no we're not doing that. Well, I, th- I think that. Well, I-, I think that both narratives could have happened because mm. I-, I think I think that there's just um, there's always narratives being developed. You know yeah, what I mean? That's, maybe that's, that's true. that department's job. Um, yeah. It would have been more spiteful to actually just go. You know what? I'm doing it. You're all fired. You know, yeah, that, that is. Been... Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I, I, I do love the line of uh, where Lee's like, "Isn't there anything you like about it?" And he just looks down. At the- one of the hosts and says, "What size are those boots?" Yeah, and then it cuts to a close. Yeah, it cuts to a close up. That's great. That's grade A filmmaking right there. That's a <laughs> yeah. hilarious cut. Uh, so yeah. well there done. Was, to there was that. a couple of funny moments in this episode. Let's be, to be and honest honestly, here. Teddy getting gunned down, I thought was hilarious at the time. It was only in <laughs> yeah. retrospect that I was like, "This is actually horrific." But at the, t- yeah. <laughs> at the time, it was just like James Marsden. You can't catch a break, can you? Yeah, um, and also I like that uh, Ford's got his little speech as well to Lee, and he's saying about like they come back for the details, they come back because they fall in love with something, yeah. and then it cuts and shows uh, William and Dolores meeting for the first time. Yeah, so that's interesting, that relationship. I wonder where that's going to go. Um, William may be in some danger, I think, um, because Dolores is... Well, I mean, she's she's a robot for a start. So as we said, we don't really know what the cap- what her physical capabilities are when she's unleashed. But she certainly seems um, to be operating under her own kind of volition now, rather than necessarily fully conforming to the narratives that she's supposed to. And she has a gun. Um, mm-hmm. I could I could see this ending badly for William's character. Old Willy boy. He's getting in. Yeah. He's getting in with the wrong with the wrong <laughs> with the wrong host here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, actually. Mm. Uh, so I'm ready to go into the roundup if you are. Yeah, let's do it. 
IMDb rating for episode 2 is 8.5 out of 10. Is that down from last week? Yeah, down by 0.4. I don't think I agree with that. I think last week was great. But I think I think this is just as good. This is a great episode. There's so much more to the characters in this episode than there were in the first one. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually I actually prefer this episode to the last one. And yeah. the last one was a great first episode, don't get me wrong, but I yeah. do prefer this one. I will say, though, the IMDb ratings on this are going to be slightly more accurate than they were on our last two shows because this actually does come out weekly. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean... Well, assuming that, that they were what they were rated by people who were watching them episode by episode rather than someone who yeah. just watched all 10 after the fact but i mean yeah i i don't i think the first episode set the set the table really well it was a brilliant mm-hmm. kind of uh introduction to the world and the introduction to all the characters but we got so much more just stuff in this episode to sink our teeth into and yes it meant that we didn't see that much of you know teddy we didn't see that much of Teresa. um you know there, there was there were some characters who kind of got shunted off a little bit um for this dolores this even dolores even. yeah dolores as well actually but but the stuff we got with Maeve um and with the man in black was uh was and Bernard actually was was brilliant yep 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 I agree right okay run us through just as a reminder before we go your theories from coming out of this week okay here we go so I've tried to I've tried to keep these um short because as we know brevity is the soul of wit but um you know what I'm like with uh with these th- <laughs> these uh, theory lengths. Um, so first one, Bernard wants to play God and will be the architect of the park's downfall. So I probably didn't get fully into that when I was talking about his plans, but I think maybe through no no uh maybe not deliberately, but certainly through his actions, I think the park's going to have some have some troubles. Um, okay. Then Bernard's conversations with Dolores are a form of confession for him as he explores her sentience while revealing his own misdeeds. Uh, the child Ford meets is his younger self. Ed Harris is Tommy and is either related to or an old friend of Ford. Um, a host version of his young self is the theory. Yeah, so yeah, you're not you're not predicting time travel, or am I? No. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. I'll leave that one open. I'm not going to put. It wouldn't host in be there. like me to suggest a show with time travel. Yeah, would it? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to put host in there, just in case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it includes. Well, it includes host. It's in. It's in this, the subcategory there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to keep it broad, just in case uh, time travel turns <laughs> up. Um, so yeah, strong enough emotions can override the core programming of host, like with Dolores becoming aware and Maeve waking up from sleep mode. Lawrence's child revealing the maze of secrets. Dolores has a real gun now, and Ford's. The, I, we didn't actually speak about this yet but i think ford's new narrative is just going to be some supernatural stuff just because they're talking about churches so i'm like oh maybe they're going to get into some weird some weird supernatural stuff with this cowboys versus aliens or something uh yeah or like demons or something oh okay that would be a really that would be really cool if they brought that in people go thinking it's just the old west and then all of a sudden there's demons and yeah, stuff. yeah yeah or like vampires i'm like all right i'm very much into this <laughs> yeah yeah awesome that's great uh so overall overall conrad um this episode, uh, I think it's pretty good. Woof! So I've got you, to say about this. What, so, so what about some like mini predictions? Like, not going. The, what are you hoping to see next episode? Um, I'd like to see a bit more. I, I think we're going to see some of Dolores and William. I assume. Um, I would like to see Teddy not humiliated for one episode, and um, I want to see the man in black following that riddle to wherever it's going. I think those are the main things I'm after for the uh for the for the next episode do you think we're gonna see Maeve in the real world anymore or is it just gonna be playing on her mind now 
as in waking up while she's being worked on or yeah yeah that's what i mean mm, probably not in the near future because i think they're gonna be pretty on it with her to make sure she doesn't do that again um but um but it wouldn't surprise me if we do get these these hosts eventually waking up in the real world and becoming more and more self-aware because i think that that whole that whole kind of real like self-actualization and realization is only going in one direction like they're not gonna they're not gonna wake up and then be like ah, i'll just forget about that like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's you know <laughs> like it's the you can't unring that bell and and mave has very much had it rung for her now yeah i also I, I love as well that you talk about teddy and how you don't want him to be embarrassed and just like he's such a good guy like hopefully this one episode he can have his uh you know respect intact it's like the opposite to what we were hoping for bartos in dark in oh absolutely of, in, yeah in the first season yeah teddy is like the anti-bartos like he's he, <laughs> like I, I i want nothing but good things for teddy whereas bartos i'd watch him be humiliated a hundred times over before i was satisfied <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Dark wasn't even in like a park like this where, like, you know, they were hosts that could be killed over and over. But I, st- <laughs> yeah. I still would have loved someone just to run in and shoot him a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor old Bartos, <laughs> still catching strays even when we're talking about Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but where's Yasin going to turn up? That's what I want to see. Right, okay, guys. Thanks very much for joining us for episode two. Looking forward to episode three next week, next Monday. Um, yeah, so if you want to support the channel, there are links in the description, t-shirt you can get, uh, tip jar there, all that sort of stuff. If you want to listen to us on podcast audio apps, go over to those. All the main ones were on those as well. Um, apart from that, though, if you want to ask a question for Conrad, comments below or send an email to adpodmail at gmail.com. Thanks very much for watching, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. The After Dark Podcast has been a Culture Cave production. Please subscribe on audio apps as well as on YouTube at The Culture Cave. Join us next week as Conrad journeys further into the unknown.